Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you be turning to the book of Joshua? The book of Joshua, and we'll begin there in just a moment. It's great to see you. Great to have a good crowd this morning. Thankful to some visitors who are in our midst. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship together. Um, as always, we will uh, have our lunch here in just a few moments. If you'd like to stay and, and be a part of that uh, around uh, a little after 1130 here as we finish up. And then we will have service at, at 1.30 again. I apologize. Uh, I've fallen uh, victim to the, the springtime here or cold or something and sound uh, very stopped up. I guess the good news of that is you don't have to listen to me again at 1.30 uh, and, uh, and suffer through that. So I ask for you to uh, ask for your patience this morning. But uh, we hope that you'll be back at 1.30 as our brother Jeff Archie will be with us. And Jeff will be reporting on the International Gospel Hour and the work that he does with that. We look forward to that time and hope that you'll plan to be back with us then as we study together. Last week we began a series of lessons that we'll carry pretty much through the month here of March as we think about the book of Joshua. Our young people have been studying the book for several months now. We can usually find this material in particular for the Bible Bowl uh, towards the summer or, or late summer and early fall. They'll put out the next year's material and so they've had this material for a while. We've really been studying in earnest here lately. Uh, God be willing this afternoon. After our 1.30 service, they'll be taking the Bible Bowl test. Uh, and so I hope, uh, as I've said before, that this encourages them. We encourage them as we study some of these similar things. But I hope that it's been encouraging to you. Uh, and we think about the book of Joshua last, mo last week, excuse me, last Sunday morning, we began with chapter 1. And last uh, Sunday afternoon, we touched on chapter 2. And the people here, as we thought last week, are moving into place to finally fulfill or help fulfill God's promises. At the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 34, Moses is now dead. The great leader who has led the people for so long is gone. He's dead, and so Joshua is going to step in, and he's going to then make this, have this conversation with God, I guess, if you will, in a sense. Last week, we touched on chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and saw where God would tell Joshua three times this phrase, Be strong and courageous. Or be strong and of good courage. And as we go through the rest of chapter 1, we didn't get into it a lot here. But you'll see on this map, I know it's going to be really hard to make out. But a red line in particular in the middle. Verses 1 through 9 we touched on last week. Verses 10 through about verse 15. Then Joshua is going to remind them of some instructions that were given to them. In this map, this is where the land will be divided. And later in the book of Joshua, there's a lot of discussion about the land and the borders of the land. And this is kind of a map of how it, it falls out. The children of Israel are going to receive the land as their inheritance. This is where they're going to set up once they conquer the promised land. The red line that I try to draw there in the middle of the map is the River Jordan. And so we see on the right side, or the east side of the map, that there were two and a half tribes that were going to remain there. That is the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and then the half tribe of Manasseh. And so in verses 10 through 15, Joshua is reminding the people that the women, he tells them in verse number 14, your wives and your little ones and your livestock are going to remain on the east side of the Jordan. And we'll find out in just a few moments as we get there that about 40,000 of their fighting men are going to travel with everyone else across the Jordan River and begin to do battle. And God makes them a promise if these men would come and they would fight with their brethren, 
which some might say is a part of their duty they should, but if they will come and they will do that, then once they conquer the land, they can then go back to the east side of the Jordan and dwell there with their families in the land that would be their inheritance. And so the people have been in Acacia Grove. We studied last week in our afternoon service in chapter 2 in verse number 1 that Joshua is going to send two spies in from Acacia Grove into the land of Jericho, the city of Jericho, to spy out the land. And we talked about Rahab and what takes place there. But back to chapter 1 for just a couple of moments. We touched on last week that God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. But it's important that we think about that the people's message as we begin even here is be strong and courageous. Or be strong in a very good courage. As you think about chapter 1 verses 10 through 15 is Joshua reminding these people of their responsibility that they are to go fight. But in verse 16, notice if you open there to Joshua 1, so they answered Joshua saying, and they speak to Joshua about these things. All that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. We will listen to you just as we listen to Moses. And in verse 18, it ends with that same phrase, only be strong and of good courage. This is important, I think, because in our Bible Bowl questions, it was pointed out to our children. As my kids and I were studying at home back several months ago, even before the end of last year, one of the questions towards the end of chapter 1 is, how many times does God tell Joshua, be strong and of good courage? And the choices are 1, 2, 3, or 4. Well, if you look at chapter 1, you read those words four times. And so we said four, and the answer comes up, and the answer says three. We said, wait a minute, they must have messed this up. There must be a problem here. So I, I contacted the last leaders group. I said, you guys messed this up, right? I mean, it says it four times here. But notice, there the fourth time is in verse number 18. And it's no longer God speaking to Joshua, but it's the people responding, in a sense, to God through Joshua or to him, we will. Be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. And so the people have this great message here that we will support you. You need to be strong and very courageous and serve the Lord God. And so when we think about the, the people, we go over to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, they are moving into place. And it wasn't far, but they take a look about, uh, at what is about to happen. Notice chapter 3 beginning in verse number 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove. That's the New King James. You may have another Hebrew word there if you have a King James Version. They set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now let's pause there for just a moment and think about what is taking place. The people have been gathered together at this city or this encampment called Acacia Grove. But they don't leave from there. They actually move closer 
to the Jordan River and set up camp again. The children of Israel, and I would suggest probably the 40,000 men from those tribes on the east side who are going to fight. And what it is is, and I'm going to have a map in just a moment. We'll get there in just a second. But it's not, we're not talking like hundreds of miles. We're not talking about days of travel. We're talking about a river valley, mountains probably on either side, and they're moving. Some people suggested that Acacia Grove may have been five, six, maybe even eight miles away from the edge of the Jordan River. And so they're not going very far, but yet they're moving, and they're coming to this place to take up camp again. I would suggest, as some others might have suggested, that they are taking a look uh, at what is about to happen, about at what is about to happen. In fact, in verse number five there, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, be prepared. You know, we often suggest to you that maybe it's a good thing on Saturday night, Saturday evening, or even Sunday morning that you do your best to be prepared. This idea of sanctifying yourself, put away the uncleanness and think about what is about to take place. Because Joshua says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord is going to do wonders among them. And I would suggest that as they stand in this particular place, that there is a question in their minds. If if you're like me and we're like them, then there's a good chance that you're standing there and you're questioning what's about to to go on. And maybe, just maybe, that's why they moved closer to camp right there before they crossed the Jordan River. There's a good chance that they can see Jericho. I don't know if you've ever considered that before, but there's a good chance that where they are, they can even see Jericho and know what lies before them. But Joshua says, Sanctify yourself because the Lord is going to do wonders. We might even use the word miracles in a sense. And let's, before we move on, talk about three of those in particular. Number one, we might say, we might think about the overflow of the Jordan River. In fact, to skip ahead a little bit in the story, but to set the stage as well, if you look in verse number 14, it says, So it was when the people set out from their camp, to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water. And then there's this phrase, right, set apart in your Bible probably that says, For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Another one of the questions that our young people have had to learn from this particular verse is, what time was it? What season was it? And the answer is, it was the harvest time. Why is that important? Because they're not just looking at a little small river. They're not just looking at something that you could just put your toe in and then step across to the other side. They're probably looking at a raging river, if you will, flowing full because it's harvest time and it is overflowing its banks. I saw one writer that suggested maybe, just maybe, that's why they're there for three days. Because those people are looking at this river and they're probably thinking, what is it we're going to do now? (laughs) I mean, here we are, we're at the Jordan River, but maybe, just maybe, we're not sure what's going to happen. 
Now, if you know your Bible history, this is the second time, correct, that the children of Israel, the people of God, are going to cross a large body of water. The first time, of course, is recorded in Exodus chapter 14. But if you remember, as the children of Israel approach the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, there's no wonder of, of, let's just camp here for a few days. They're being pushed Right by the Egyptians who have come out of Egypt to take them and take them back into captivity. So they're probably in, in anxiety and worry about what's going to happen before the Egyptians get there facing this body of water. And yet here they are again at a body of water with some time to contemplate what exactly is going to happen and even recognizing that this would be an act of faith. Because here is a body of water that is not just small, it's not just down in this time of year, it is overflowing. Because that's the season as they approached it. Number two, another thing that we might notice is not only are they going to cross the Jordan River, but they're going to do so with probably between two to three million people. Two to three million people. If you go back to Numbers chapter 26 and verse number 2, Numbers 26 and verse number 2, the Lord had spoke to Moses and Eleazar saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's house, all who are able to go to war in Israel. They're going to take a second numbering here, a second counting of the people. You go forward in Numbers 26 to verse number 51, and you notice that there are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Now, I did the math for you ahead of time. But if you take about 601,000 and you multiply it times four, thinking a, a man who is of the age of fighting, a wife, and possibly two children. And again, we're not talking about the elderly who are not going to go to war. We're not talking about, I mean, we're, we're just kind of, you know, guessing here. But 601,000 times four is around 2.4 million people. I can't even get these 11 teenagers, young people, to do the same thing at the same time, right? I mean, to go the same direction. Much less 2.4 million people. And yet here they are assembled together looking at this raging river, wondering what's going to take place. God is going to do wonders. And then we might notice in the third place as we think about this idea, I don't know that you'd call this a miracle exactly, but it's been 40 years the date was around 1407, 1407 B.C. If you recall in Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 34, Numbers, really Numbers chapters 13 and 14, that Moses is going to send out the 12 spies, right? We talked about last week. Ten saw bad, two saw good. They come back, they give the people the report that we can take the land, but the people are afraid. They do not trust in God even though they had just crossed the Red Sea. So God punishes them. And he says, those 12 spies spent 40 days spying in the land. You will spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. If we look in Numbers chapter 33 and verse number 3. Numbers 33 and verse number 3, we see that it was in the first year of the first month and the 15th day when they left the land of Egypt. The first year, the first month, 
and the 15th day. If you go forward again to the book of Joshua, where we're spending our time, Joshua chapter 4 and verse number 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. So now we're talking about year 41, month 1, and day 10. I saw several writers who said it was to the exact day. I saw a few others that maybe had it off by just a day or two. But I did. I used the word exactly here. They are 40 years just as God had said. Wandering in the wilderness. And now here they are ready to come into the land. They have essentially in a sense come physically into the land. Although there is still work to be done. And as the children of Israel have done this. We want to realize that the speech and the the things that are said here before they cross over the Jordan, God tells them that they could have knowledge. You see, we live in a world today where some people would say, well, you know, we can't know things. I mean, what you want to believe is what you want to believe. What I want to believe is what I want to believe. We can't really know something to be true or to be factual. But yet Joshua's speech before they are about to begin here is one of knowledge that they could have knowledge of the Jehovah God of heaven. And the reason that these things are going to take place the way that they did is so that they could have knowledge. Number one, and I'm going to ask you to change something in your outline if you have your bulletin in front of you. I had a typo as I gave Faith my outline. You may see that it may say he was with them. If you have that in your outline and you have it in front of you, mark out that word them if you don't mind and put the word That's lowercase him, that's not God or Jesus, that's not deity. But God's message for these miracles was that he was number one with Joshua. If you're still there in Joshua chapter 3 this time, look at verse number 7. After Joshua has told the people to sanctify themselves and prepare for these wonders, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's not exactly wrong what I put in the bulletin. God was with them. We'll get to that in a moment. But he was saying here directly in verse number 7 that he was with Joshua. The miracles or the wonders that are about to take place remind us of three things that they could know. And you can begin to see there are three things that could apply to us today. First of all, God was with Joshua. Verse 7 tells us that this was one of the purposes. Think about the battles that were about to come. You know about Jericho. You may know about Ai, which is going to come right after Jericho. And then our young people have learned that in chapters 10 and 11, there are going to be more conquerings. There are going to be more battles that have to take place in order for them to fully take that land. You see, once they cross the river, Jericho is right there. We'll look at a map in a minute. Jericho's right there. Ai is right behind Jericho as you look at the map. But then they've got to go to the south. Then they've got to go to the north. They've got to completely conquer the land. How are they going to do that unless they believe in their leader? Unless they fully trust in him. They needed confidence in Joshua. So the Lord says that I am with you as I was with Moses And these things are going to be done so that the people may know. We touched on it last week for just a moment. But can you imagine, I asked you last week, taking over for someone who was so beloved. 
right? Stepping into the shoes of someone, having a new leader come in. A lot of times there's distrust. Uh, There's no confidence. There's a lot of comparison. You're not as good as he was. They needed confidence in Joshua. How's that going to be accomplished? What about crossing a body of water that it is in its overflow stages? God was with Joshua. Number two, God was among them. So again, that first one is not necessarily not true, but although more specifically, he was with Joshua. But number two, we go up to verse verse number 10, and we notice that God was among them. Verse 9, Joshua said to the children of Israel, he's speaking for God, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, number one, or for us, number two, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. You know, I'm often known as something that a lot, it's easy for me to point back at the children of Israel and sort of do that shaking of the head. I mean, how is it that you guys didn't trust in God? After all the things that he did, how is it that you could no longer or stop trusting in God to protect you and take care of you? Well, he was among them, and this is going to be another case in which something is going to happen that is miraculous, and they can then know that the living God is among them. He's not like the gods of the idols. He's not like the gods of wood. He's not like the gods of stone. He is alive And he is among them. They're going to know that by what is about to take place. But number three, continuing there in verse number 10, we learn that God's promises are sure. He says, by this you shall know, Joshua, to the people, that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. A promise was made in Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 2. God said, Exodus 33, 2, I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out. And there in Exodus 33, it gives this similar list. A lot of the people, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, all these folks are listed there. This was not some half-hearted guess. This was not God just saying, you know, I'll see if I can make it happen. I'll I'll see if we can work it out. This was a promise that he made, and as we say today, it's as good as gold. It's going to happen without fail. It helps them to, number one, as he's going to do this miracle, they're going to cross the river. Number one, it helps them get into the land. But number two, it shows his power to deliver victory. His power to deliver them victorious across this water and then the people that are going to be standing on the other side. Do you remember Romans chapter 15 in verse number 4? You know, we talk about that a lot sometimes as we study the Old Testament. Romans chapter 15 in verse number 4, the, the statement that Paul makes there that whatsoever things that were written aforetime, these things of old, these stories of the past, they're written for our learning. That we can read those things, and through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. We can look back at the God of Joshua, the God of the Red Sea and the Jordan River, and know and have hope that his promises are sure. We may not have the same kind of miracle 
this true changing of science or the way that the world works, but we can know that his promises are sure, just as they knew then. So what's the rest of the story? Well, I know you're not going to be able to make out this map exactly here. I drew the kids a really good one. If you if them have it, you'll have to ask them. I, I drew it by hand, and I'm atrocious at drawing, by the way. Uh, so theirs looks a little different than this. But the people are, are on the east side. Remember, the, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are going to stay there. This, of course, is all a little bit of guessing, but they're going to take a possible route across the Jordan River, and then they're going to camp, and it has a question mark there, at Gilgal. Now, whether it was on that side of Jericho or on this side, I drew it a little differently for the kids to try to help them. But you get a better picture here of seeing this is not the largest space in the world. Okay? We're not talking about, you know, the whole country of the United States that they're, that they're traversing here in just a, a couple of verses. It's pretty narrow. They're probably on one side, can see that overflowing river and the land of Jericho. The people of Jericho might can see them coming can certainly probably see them at Gilgal, and this battle is about to take place. Well, if you've already read chapter 3 or you're familiar with it, you know what happens. As God said, when the toes, probably, when the feet of the priest who bore the ark touched their feet in the water, the water dried up in a heap at Adam. Now, you may be able to see that, you may not, but almost about the quarter way down from the top, there's Adam, and there's a couple of different names because we're not exactly sure where that was. But several miles from where they cross, the water is going to rise up in a heap and stop right there. And, of course, we're talking about getting 2.4 million people across the river, so they're going to need some room. But one writer suggested it's almost as if God was holding back the water with his own hand, and the people cross. You notice in verse number 17, the people cross on dry ground. I don't know about you, but I've still got water in my yard from about two weeks ago, much less the water that's come in the last week in this snow. There's no dry ground to be had in my yard right now from two weeks ago, much less a, a, a river that's overflowing, yet the people cross on dry ground. There's no mistaking this wonder or this miracle. And chapter 4 really tells the rest of the story as Joshua gives instructions to the people. There are stones that they are to take out of the river Jordan. As the priests carry the ark and they touch the water or the bottom of the bed with their feet, the water dries up in the sense that it stops up at Adam, and then they have the dry ground to walk on. As they're walking across with the priest and the ark in the middle of the riverbed, Joshua says, take 12 stones. Take 12 men, each one of you take one stone and carry them to the other side. They take them over to where they're going to be lodging in chapter 4 and verse number 8. And then Joshua goes into the river and actually makes a second memorial. He goes into the river while it's dry, while the priests are there, and he takes 12 stones and he sets up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. Then he exits as the people do. The priests exit the river, and of course, everything goes back just as it was. They take those 12 stones, the ones that the men carried out, and they're going to set them up on the other side. And Joshua then has a second memorial. And are you sure that God's promises are sure? Notice in verse number 14 of chapter 4, On that day, the Lord exalted 
Joshua. He told them, he told him, I'm going to be with you. They will see that I'm with you just as I was with Moses. And it says that after they cross, the Lord exalted Joshua. And the people, verse 14 there, were afraid or they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And then Joshua, he's already said it once, but he sort of repeats it again. He asked this question, and this is kind of where we want to begin to conclude. He sets up the memorial in the Jordan. They set up the memorial on the other side. And it's not just for fun. It's not just because he's bored. But he says, every time from here on out, when your children see these 12 stones set up in this way, and they ask you, what do these stones mean to you? He gives one answer beginning in verse number 7 of chapter 4. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So here comes this question. The instruction for the stones and the setting up of this memorial comes with a question. What do these stones mean to you? They're set up so that when your children see them, they can ask you. And you can begin to tell them about what the Lord has done. You recall the New Testament, James chapter 1 and verse number 17. James says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. How many times does something good happen to us and we say, well, look what I've done. I mean, look how hard I've worked. Look at what I have been able to accomplish. But God has given us tangible reminders of his goodness. A couple that we can notice here at this point in the lesson. Number one, God shows himself in nature. He has given us this beautiful world that, yes, it was 70 degrees two days ago, and then it's snowing the next, but we can look all around us and we can see his handiwork. From the way our bodies work, to the way our ecosystem works, to the way our solar system works, we can see him. When your children ask you why it is that our bodies function the way that they do, why it is that the world works the way that it does, can you say to them, then it's because of the hand of the Lord. Sometimes that's not in such a good way. Why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen? But God shows himself. He shows himself in nature. In Acts chapter 14 and verse number 17, Acts 14, 17, Paul would say in that great sermon, Mars Hill sermon, nevertheless he, God, nevertheless he did not leave himself without witness. He didn't leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with food and gladness. All that we have comes from the Lord. You see, we don't have stones, per se, set up in our house or set up in our yard, but we have memorial stones in our lives. We see him in nature. But number two, God shows himself, of course, through Scripture, the many ways that he has blessed man. What he did all throughout the Old Testament. What he did sending his only begotten son. How he listens to us and cares for us. We know that he is God. And every time that something good happens, we should be able to tell our children, when they ask, what does this mean to you? We can know 
that the Lord God of heaven is the Lord God of the Jordan River. He's the Lord God of us today, and he still works. He's still moving among us in a sense that we can know who he is and what he's done. Joshua placed those memorial stones so that when the children of, children of the children of Israel asked, they could be told of the great God of heaven who works mighty wonders and who rules over the heavens and the earth. What memorial stones do you have? Those were physical, literal stones. But this isn't the first time. We touched on it last week. God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 there, with all your heart, soul, and strength, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you sit, when you walk, you're to be talking about God. What is it in your life that's a memorial stone? What do these stones mean to you? And how are you sharing that with the children and the future generations so that they can come to know the Lord God of heaven? He may not stop the waters today for us as he did there in Joshua chapter 3, but he still works great and mighty wonders. He's still the same God of heaven, and he will still fulfill his promises. As we said last week, that promise of heaven, but also the promise of hell. Great reward, but also great punishment. His promises are sure, and we can know that. Are we sharing that? You know, the real purpose of all this is that it is given by God in what is the closing statement in Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Again, sort of a similar speech. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What has the hand of the Lord done for you? We know what he did for Joshua and the children of Israel. And I know you. I know your stories. Many of you, the good things that have happened to you, the way that God has blessed you or maybe protected you, do you remember and do you share them with your children as they ask you, what does this mean to you? You know, we are not physical Israel, but we are spiritual Israel in a sense. And even this day, you can become a child of God. The hand of the Lord was evident at the Jordan River and the hand of the Lord is evident still today. We may not be physical Israel, but we are spiritual in a sense that we can be a part of God's family. We can be a blessed child of God. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, we'll be singing this song that's been selected so that we can encourage you through its words to become obedient, obedient to the simple plan of salvation. See, God's word has told us exactly what we need to do to become a Christian. And of course, in a sense, it culminates, although we need to go through all the things that we're told to do, including believing, repenting, and confessing Jesus as Lord. We are baptized for the remission of our sins, coming in contact with the blood of Christ, which has the power. It's not in me, it's not in anybody here, it's not in the water, but it's the blood of Christ that has the power to take away sins. Once you've done that, the Lord will add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully or try to remain faithful. It's possible, sure it is. We can take strength and confidence, we can have hope. Maybe you're here this morning though, but you've not remained faithful. 
We're thankful that God has given us an opportunity, even this day, that we can repent of our sin and come back to him. We're thankful for our good eldership here. One of them will be coming forward in just a moment. We'll be singing this song of encouragement that we could ask you if you need to make a change in your life, that you would do so even this moment as we stand together and as we sing.